Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than any the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the sons who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. This is the word of the Lord. You may. Good morning, Grace. Thank you for letting me speak to you from the word. Uh, let me start this way. By a show of hands, how many people in this room know someone who has moved out of California in the last four or five years? Okay. Probably because uh, maybe not huge fans of the governor, maybe because um, it was an opportunity um, for the market to get out at the right time, or maybe, I hear, you can buy a fortress in Idaho right now, um, which is exciting. Uh, or maybe a palace in Tennessee. I, I feel like most of our people are going to Texas, Tennessee, Idaho. Uh, a buddy of mine went to Colorado about a, a little over a year ago. Um, he grew up here, decades lived here in, in Orange County. And uh, he visited me uh, about a month ago. And we were hanging out, we were getting coffee at, at the original, at the Keen Coffee there. And, um, and I said to him, he's a pastor, and I said, if you were coming to this place, now that you've got a little distance, just a little bit, 
uh, and you were talking to pastors, what would you say is like the pathology or the, uh, the idol or the, the real challenge of doing ministry in Orange County? He grew up here, so he, he knows it extremely well. But sometimes getting a little distance, you can see it a little more sharply. And he said, you know, it wouldn't be anything people hadn't heard. But he said, there is this just deep-seated mentality that there's always something over the horizon. That there's always something next, there's always something new, there's always a new startup, there's always a new opportunity, maybe a new relationship that, that everyone kind of does almost always somewhere in their hearts have their eye, eyes kind of lifted up a little bit. It's like, yeah, but what about that over there? And he said, um, you know, it's funny living in Colorado, he said a lot of my neighbors, um, their cars are not awesome looking. Like they, they're pretty, sorry if you're from Colorado, I don't know. Um, <laughs> He's like, they're just kind of rough. They're rough looking. And he goes, and part of that's because of the weather. Um, they have something called thunder hail. Yeah. So that's a thunderstorm, but because of the high elevation, it's just hail instead of rain. And so he says, so like the cars just get hammered. He's like, as soon as we got here, our car, our beautiful Subaru just got just pummeled by thunder hail, which he didn't know existed. Um, but he does now. And he goes, so part of it's the weather, but a lot of the cars in my neighborhood and things like that, just not paint kind of whatever. And he goes, but I've noticed the interior of the car is actually pretty well maintained. And that more than that, like the engine and things like that, that there's actually a lot of investment on what's inside because these are cars that they need to last or they expect to last for 20 some years, right? And he goes, here, and we were like walking through the parking lot of Keene, and there was like, you know, a shiny white Tesla. And he was like, actually there was four, um, <laughs> sorry. We can be honest. Um, there was 19 shiny white Teslas in the... And he said, here, the cars are beautiful. I mean, like, look at that thing. It's incredible. Uh, and he goes, but every once in a while you'll notice a little messier on the inside. A little messier on the inside. And, and he goes, and a lot of times you're talking to people not really aware of when the oil change is supposed to happen or like, you know, like how to maintain the engine, things like that. And he goes, and I think they're related. I think it's like because they're not going to have it that long. Like, they're not going to have it 30 years or 20, you know. Like, they're going to have something else eventually or soon. And so there's this kind of idea that, like, even though we hit the, uh, the ocean, we're still always looking to the horizon. Like, it's got to be something more. It's got to be something next, something new. And he said, so I think the real challenge to do ministry in Orange County is how do you get people to ground themselves where they actually are and to dig in deep and to do the work, the deep, difficult, slow work of the heart and life um, without always looking up and saying, yeah, but what is on Zillow? <laughs> you know. Our passage this morning, Luke 16, familiar probably to many of you, but no less strange in certain ways. The story itself is clear. Jesus' comments tend to be not so clear. So the story is, there's a rich man who owns an estate. That estate is obviously pretty uh, extensive because we hear about the kinds of things people owe this rich estate owner, this master. Um, and he has charged or hired, probably years before, a manager to manage not only his property, his possessions, but obviously the economy of the house, which includes lending oil and wheat and all sorts of things. So probably a pretty extensive uh, estate and a lot of resources coming in. 
And this guy has been in charge of that. Now, you don't hire someone like that overnight. You hire someone like that if you've got good references. Maybe you trained them themselves. Maybe he was a servant in the house for years. And over time, he learned that he had credibility, integrity. Maybe he was really good with numbers. He could be trusted. And so he, he has this house manager. The Greek word is a oikonomos. Oikonomos. And he has his house manager. And he says, okay, this is my guy. And so when the rich master of the estate is gone, this guy can conduct his affairs. Or when, when he needs someone to travel and conduct some trade or whatever else, it'll be this guy. And, and this guy must have been good at his job, or he wouldn't have been given that kind of responsibility. He must have been capable, uh, and probably had a track record of proving his faithfulness in those ways. But something happened. And it never happens all at once, it always happens just a little bit at a time. But on a business trip here or there, instead of eating simply, uh, the house manager said, you know, it wouldn't be so bad if I ate at a really nice restaurant. Or just like a, how about like a middle, middle class restaurant? But not like this like street stuff, just like a little nicer. He's not going to notice. The guy's so rich, you could tell, right? Like, how's he going to, it's not going to hurt him. In fact, I represent him. So when people see that I'm doing well and I, you know, I'm kind of like him out there in the world. It probably starts with something like that. Stays in a little bit of a nicer place when he's on the road, a little bit nicer food, instead of once in a while, starts to become a little bit of a habit. Starts to become a little bit of a habit wherever he travels, starts looking for the best, starts wearing a little nicer things. Again, he's probably justifying it to himself. I represent him, this is the brand. They see me, they see him. This is, this is, for, this is for my guy. And, uh, and something happens where one step by one step, a little bit by a little bit, and he ends up living into a lifestyle that is obviously, obviously indulgent. And I say obviously because the only way the master calls him out on it is because people tell the master what he's doing. They're like, hey, um, you know Bill? Every time we see Bill, like, really nice new suits. I don't know if you need a new suit every week, but... Uh, I don't know where Bill's getting his money, except, of course, I do know it's your money. <laughs> That's his job, is your money. I don't know. It just seems a little strange. Hey, you know, I saw Bill the other day, too. You know where he was staying? Well, I don't need to tell you. It was the nicest place in the land. They're like, that was Bill. Look at what Bill's driving, you know? And, like, and they're like, hey, uh, you might want to think about how Bill, are you paying Bill a lot more money? He's like, no. He's like, That's interesting. And Bill has access to all your accounts? He's like, yeah. Oh, well... Rumor gets out. Rumor must be more than rumor. Rumor must come from credible people the master trusts because eventually it's not a conversation when he calls the guy in. And he says, hey, what are you doing? And he's not like, can you explain this? He's like, what are you doing? You're done. So he's heard enough from the right people to know this guy has been squandering his resources regularly at an extent and to an extent in which cannot be rationalized or justified. There's no conversation. It's gotten that far down the road. So the master calls him out and he says, you're done. I need you to put your accounts in order because I need to transfer this job to someone else and I need to, everything needs to be up to date. So get it done, you're fired, basically. And uh, the guy's like, oh shoot. And the guy doesn't even protest. He's not like, well wait a minute, uh, it's a brand. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't even try. It's that bad, right? And so the guy says, oh my gosh. This is the only thing I've done for maybe 15 years. No one's gonna hire me to manage their stuff. Like my one reference is, hey, he's a horrible manager. 
um, and he'll take your money as his own. He's not going to be able to do the one thing he probably knows how to do really well ever again. This is his thinking. And maybe because he lived really nicely, he's too weak to do manual labor. He's like, I don't know how to fix an engine. I can't, I can't dig a ditch. I don't even have muscle, you know? He's like, shoot, what can I do? And he's like, I can't get a job. No one will hire me. And I'm too weak to do the kind of labor that I might be able to get hired for because it has nothing to do with management or being trustworthy to this particular kind of class of people. Shoot, what do I do? And then he says, oh man, I could be on the street in like days. And he knows himself and he's like, I'm too embarrassed to beg. He's planning on that. He's like, I can't do it. I couldn't do it. Like, could you even imagine yourself begging? Like being there at the exit of the 55 here when you come to church and holding a sign and being like, homeless, please help. For many of us, no, couldn't. There's no way. I just couldn't even imagine myself doing that. It's just, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I just couldn't. And so he says, okay, here's what I'll do. And he's incredibly clever. He, he starts calling people who owe the master money. And he says, hey, uh, you know how I'm the manager of all that stuff? How much do you owe him? And you heard it. They're like a thousand gallons of oil, you know? And he's like, cool, you owe 500. And they're like, he's technically able to do that. He's the manager of the, he's the one who literally keeps the books. He speaks for the master. So they're like, okay, what an awesome Tuesday. Like they weren't expecting this to happen at all, but they're like, great. And then he's just going to whoever's close, whoever he can get to immediately because this just happened. He's like, how about you? How much do you owe? And he's like, 800 bushels of wheat. Who among us hasn't owed 800 bushels of wheat? It's that Costco card. You ever use the Costco City, <laughs> City Group card when you're just like, yeah. 800 bushels of wheat. He's like, no, you don't owe Costco anything. Oh, you owe half of what you thought you owed them, you know. And he's like, wonderful. Master gets the books back. He's looking through the ledger, and he's like, what in the what? I could picture him late at night. He's like, honey, look at this. This clever snake. Look at this. The same day I fired him, right before he turned in his books, on that day, look at all these accounts he changed. That shrewd son of a gun. It's a simple story, maybe familiar. What's strange is what Jesus says. Jesus says, I wish my disciples were more like that. I wish the sons of light, I wish people who knew and trusted and followed God, I wish they were more like that guy. And we're like, what? And the passage was read in its fullness. You get to the end and it says, and the Pharisees who loved money scoffed at what Jesus said. And they were like, it's ridiculous, all these stupid stories. Like, what is he doing? Why do people follow this guy? This is ridiculous. And Jesus is like, yeah, I wish my disciples were more like this guy. And he's like looking at the Pharisees, teaching his disciples, he's looking at the Pharisees, and he's like, the people of this world, the people who are motivated by personal gain and selfish ambition are a lot shrewder than the people who are supposed to be managing the house of God. The Pharisees are the managers of the house of God. They are the keepers of the temple, the teachers of the law. In fact, if you know the Pharisees, they are morally scrupulous to an insane degree where they are the moral police. They will tell you how to live your life in accordance with righteousness. 
They are not lazy when it comes to how to live in a certain way that pleases God. They're like famously hardcore about this. They are the people who want to bring back these kinds of morals, right? They think that Israel needs this injection of serious moral behavior to recover its place before God, and yet we hear, shoot, maybe a little bit at a time, maybe one step here, one thing there, they began to love money to the point where Jesus' condemnation of the pagans of the world who seek only their own is actually directly applicable to the Pharisees who are supposed to be the keepers, the managers of the house of God. Jesus says, man, I wish my followers were as shrewd, I could just picture him like looking at the Pharisees, were as shrewd as worldly people who only care about their own luxury and comfort and gain. I was in San Francisco a little over a week ago, and I was visiting some pastors. Uh, we were doing some pastor training stuff. It was, it was really cool. It was different than the kind of thing I normally do in the summer. And I stayed at the house of this pastor. I got three little kids. He has five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if you're a parent and you heard, like, these, this lady sharing, you're just like... <gasps> Can I go to abide? You know, like, <laughs> will, they let, will they let David in? Um, he's got five kids, and, and, I, and he was so kind. They let me stay at his house. So I, like, left my brood, apologizing to my wife. I'm like, are you, is it okay? She's like, get on the plane, it's fine. And I get there, and then there's immediately five kids climbing all over me. I'm like, this isn't a vacation at all, you know? <laughs> What's happening? I did not calculate my summer correctly. Um, but we were there, and I was just like, this family's so... San Francisco's rough. It's gotten rougher still. You know that. But, you know, in the Bayview area, it's not, not a gentle neighborhood. And, um, and they don't have a ton of space, and they got a ton of people. And yet, man, they were like, I don't know. It was just like love, and it was hospitality, and it was like Jesus, and it wasn't fake, and there weren't slogans. It was just like, oh, man, you know? Man, Lord, you know? It was just like just so good to be around, you know? Sometimes you do ministry things, it's like so like not great to be around. You're like, yeah, but do we know the Lord? Like, I know we read a lot of books. Um, but they're just like talking about the Lord. You know how when you hear someone talk about the Lord and you're like, they know the Lord. And it sounds different. You hear them when they pray and you're like, shoot, they know the Lord. I was like around that. It was awesome. And then one of the days, one of the pastors regularly ministers in the Tenderloin, which is a place where some of them had lived for years. And if you know the Tenderloin, it's like Skid Row. Some say it's gotten worse than that. Hard to picture. And they're like, hey, we're gonna, if we're going to do pastor training, like we've got to be connected to reality, so we're going to go minister in the Tenderloin today. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> I was like, you know I come from a land of white Teslas. I don't know if you understand. <laughs> I might need onboarded. I might need onboarded a little bit here. He goes, okay, well, just keep your eyes open when you pray so someone doesn't swing at you. And here's uh, two little hits of Narcan in case someone overdoses in front of you. You gotta jab it up their nose and spray, try to bring them back to life. He goes, it happens from time to time. And I said, yeah, okay. Fentanyl's destroyed that community like it's destroyed ours and many others. We're just better at hiding it. So I was out there on the street 
And we're driving, and the pastor, this guy's Rob, he's like, he knows his area. This is his place. And so we're driving. He's like, see her? And this like, lady looks like, I don't know, 20s. She's got a backpack like on her shoes. She's sitting against the wall. He's like, she hasn't been here more than a month. He's like, look for people like that. Like, we have to talk to her. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm just like. Drops us off, two by two. We read the Bible. <laughs> two by two, we go out. And the whole goal is just, we're just going to pray for people. Go up the street and pray for people. Stop every single person, try to have a conversation. At first, it was obvious some of them thought I was an undercover cop, so it didn't work out great at first. This lady's like, you can pray from there. You don't need to get any closer. I'm like, can I put my hand on your shoulder while I pray? She's like, no. If it's Jesus, he's not bothered by the distance. I'm like, amen. 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 That's true. So it took a second for people to think I wasn't up to something else. Um, but eventually, like almost every person we talked to, like, yeah, this is, what, this is how I got here. This is what's been going on. What do you need prayer for? I the first thing, I'm in pain. They're all in physical pain. One of the things Rob said before we got there, he says, just remember, this is someone's son or daughter. Just remember that. Like, you know, if you minister to people who are really in a tough spot and they're like sitting down, a lot of the people were either in chairs or couldn't really move. Like, you don't, don't talk down to them. Like, you know, take a knee. Like, look at him like a human being. Like, square it up. Make sure you're, you're not here to save them. You know what I mean? Like, so normal things, things you would probably think of maybe instinctively, but it was just good to be around people who were like, hey, this is someone's son. And maybe they've been praying for him for 30 years. It's like, yeah, shoot, yeah. Um, there was some wild stuff, but it was incredible. Just praying for people. I like, silver and gold have I none. Like, I didn't, I didn't. But just praying for people. And almost everyone except that first lady, like, let me put my hand on their shoulder and pray for them. It was awesome. I was flying back just last week. I was flying back, and I was on the plane coming in Orange County. It's late at night, and I felt ashamed. I felt embarrassed because I was so focused on ministry and on Jesus when I was there. And I found it life-giving, exciting, invigorating, and then I felt the contrast to how I live when I'm at home. And I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. If anybody had been sitting next to me who knew me, I'd been like, ah, I, gotta, I gotta tell you this. <laughs> but I just sat there with this like, man, why am I so lazy at home? Why am I so like, oh, that's not the better, the better coffee place is over here. Like, I was ashamed. I live in San Juan Capistrano. I'm like, I haven't walked down the street in my own neighborhood and prayed for the homeless people. I haven't had that conversation with them. But go away on a little trip, get all hyper-focused on the Lord, and all of a sudden you're like, but what is that? I just felt this. I was like, man, how, how can I be like that here? How can I be so focused, motivated, undistracted? It would have felt silly to be in that house in San Francisco scrolling through whatever, doing anything, like just, it would just felt silly. It would have felt silly. And I was just like, how do you, how do we become shrewd in the way that the Lord says, man, I wish my disciples were like people who know how to protect their neck. 
I wish my disciples were like people who are motivated by selfish gain. I wish my disciples were that motivated by the kingdom of God. We're that motivated by the things I've shown them, by the people I've given to their care, by the roles I've placed them in, the responsibilities I've given them. I wish my disciples were as focused, were as shrewd, were as efficient, were as attentive, were as prayerful, as desperate, as dependent as people who are looking out for themselves, trying to make an extra buck. I wish my disciples were like that. So how do we become shrewd Christians in the land of luxury. How do we become shrewd Christians? I told people I was going to San Francisco, they're like, oh, you know, that's what happens when the liberals take over. You know, you're just like, yeah, all right, all right, all right. All right. But how do we become shrewd in the way Jesus wants us to? I think the parable actually helps us if we go back and think it through real quick. The first thing that happens is the guy gets called out. Now, by all means, if that's what this sermon is for someone here, happy to be here. Sure, I won't be invited back, but you know, God bless. Um, I do have a job, so I'm going to be all right. I teach some of your kids. Um, so you didn't quite, you're like, wait a minute, can we fire him twice? Um, if this sermon is that wake up call, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What an incredible Sunday. But first, there has to be a wake-up call. I think as Christians, we're like, yeah, I'm going to give an account someday. And it's like, yeah, someday. By and by, you know, I'm going to give an account. And hope the righteousness of Christ is just going to wipe it all away. You know, like, we, someday I'm going to give an account. The master says, hey, give an account now of your records. You're done. Submit right now. If the Lord said that to us, hey, give an account today. We're like, well, actually, Lord, it says in the Bible that at the last day, we will give, then I'll be ready to give an account. He's like, no, it's Sunday. It's August 6th today. Today is the day of salvation. Someone quoted Hebrews. Today is the day. Give an account today. And if you're like, ah, shoot. I had a friend say, no husband wants to confess to his wife that he's been using pornography. But any husband would wish that he had confessed it a year ago and that that was a difficult but redemptive memory in his past. Today, one of my best friends a month ago went in for a routine prescription check for his glasses. He's got three young daughters. They broke his glasses several times. And he went in and he was like, I got to get a new prescription. I got to update these things. And the optometrist was like, hey, have you been having headaches? He's like, yeah, a couple months. Why? And she kind of said, uh, one second, get somebody else. Not cool. Somebody else comes over. Um, yeah, you're going to need to see the ophthalmologist. What's going on? Well, your, uh, your optic nerves are like enlarged. They're like swelling. He's like, what does that mean? And everyone says, I don't want to say. And he's like, cool, what? He's 38. Three days later, he is being told he has a very large tumor in his brain and that they have to get him in within the week 
because it's an absolute emergency. He was just trying to get a prescription change. Um, the night before they go in to cut his skull open, he tells me, hey, you know that passage uh, in Matthew? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth, moths don't get in, rust can't corrupt, thieves can't break in and steal. I go, yeah. He goes, do you know how many times I've heard that? I go, no. And he goes, I bet hundreds of times. But now, now, I get it. Unfortunately, they could only get 90%, and it is stage four, and they've given him a year. He's got three little girls. He's younger than me. If the master said, give an account, what's going on? Today. Like if the Lord told you you have today, actually by the end of today, what would you be like, oh, I have to do this, this, this? What if he said you actually have 10 minutes? You're not going to get through the end of the service. What would you do? If he said you have, I'm so sorry, you have one minute. What would you do? If you had 10 seconds. Everybody in this room, I bet you, if you had 10 seconds, you would either pray or you would sing your heart out to Jesus in worship. How do you become a shrewd disciple? You have to wake up. You have to be called out. There's a lot of ways that can happen. Maybe today is one of them. Second thing is, he says, I can't dig. I'm too weak. And I'm ashamed to beg. I think to be a shrewd disciple, you need to know your limits. You need to know your weaknesses. How many young moms feel horrible guilt about not being able to show up to every single thing because it's impossible, and then accidentally, because of the devil, end up sort of bitterly resenting their children for stealing their time and their identity, and get stuck in this guilt and bitterness and guilt and bitterness? Or what if you said, the Lord has appointed this season, as was mentioned, and it is perfect and beautiful in its time. And it's not a season for 10 things. It's a season for this thing. Do you know what your season is? Do you know your limits? Do you know what you're capable of and what you're not capable of? You cannot be shrewd if you're like idealistic. Idealism is the death of the shrewd Christian. If you're looking at that horizon and saying, yeah, but what's next? What's around the corner? Well, maybe I could do this. Well, maybe I could do that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, can you actually reckon with who you are today? Well, I thought I was going to be this. I thought I was going to be that. You're not. What are you today? What are you capable of? What are your weaknesses? What are your strengths? Do you know what they are? You cannot be shrewd if you're always saying, well, I like to think of myself as that. Know who you are. Take an honest accounting of your limits. They're not a curse upon you. They're actually the avenue of the Lord's blessing. Your limits are not a curse upon you. They are the avenue of the Lord's blessing. If you can say what they are, face them, know what they are. Take an honest account of your limits. And then the third thing I would say is 
from the passage. Where is your house? What have you been asked to be faithful with? He says, if you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with much. If you're not faithful with a little, you won't be faithful with much. Do you know what you're asked by the Lord right now to be faithful with? The people that he's given to your care. What is your house? It's the relationships that are actually before you. A lot of times for my students, it's like, well, someday I'm going to find so-and-so. And I'm like, how you treat your siblings is who you are. How you treat your children is who you are. Like, that's your house. Your coworkers, that's your house. Do you know who and what you've been asked to be faithful with today? Because you can do that. You can be faithful. If you just kind of have a way of seeing what that actually is, you can be faithful with what he's given you today. If it's that beautiful one-year-old baby, that, be faithful with that. Okay, 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 okay. I can do that. Do you know what you've been asked to be faithful with? Do you know what you've been asked to manage well? Let me just a couple points of application and I'll be, up, I'll be out of your way. There's a lot of mature Christians in the room. I know because I know some of the people who go here and I know the kind of church they would go to. Are you shrewd about your church? Like, have you been to churches before and you've seen division? Are you shrewd about seeing, oh, wait, I know what the devil tries to do in a healthy, strong place like this. He tries to start gossip. He tries to sow a little bit of discord. Well, you know, she didn't notice me when I said I had something to share. Oh, wait, I've seen this before. I know what the devil tries to do when he tries to take a healthy body who's moving in a great direction and tries to drive a little bit of a wedge between people. Subtle at first, but man, if you're shrewd, if you're a wise Christian, if you're mature in this room, you know how the devil operates in different seasons and in different places. And you could get out ahead of that. You could look for that and say, oh, Lord, if no one else is praying this morning against division in this beautiful, healthy community of faith, let it be you. Pray against that spirit of division. Pray against the spirit of dissatisfaction. Pray against the spirit of laziness or comfort. I can joke, but we are the people, right? We are the people who got used to being in charge of the master's house. A little bit at a time. I don't know where it started for you. I just know I was in San Francisco, and it was like an out-of-body experience because I was actually living like a Christian who was focused. I'm like, what in the world am I doing here where I've gotten so indulgent? So many good gifts from the Lord. So if you were shrewd, and you knew, man, a healthy church... I want to make sure I'm sowing into people who are younger. If you're younger, maybe you heard them share about abide. If you're younger, you're not married, you should be talking to people who are married with kids. You should say, what does the devil try next? She's like, he makes you so tired. He just makes you so tired. But because of that, sometimes he'll push you into self-pity. He'll lead you away from the good shepherd because no one can quite get it, and it's true. Your husband can't quite get it. It's true. But he'll lead you into resentment and self-pity if you're not careful. What does the devil try next when you're an empty nester? What does the devil try next when you're retired? These should be the seasons. These should be the things that we're praying about, thinking about, talking to each other about. Hey, young guy, hey. 
hey, older person here about this stage of life, or hey, someone who started the business and had these big dreams. In this, like, what, what does the devil try next? To be shrewd about your church body, this incredible intergenerational opportunity to grow together. To be shrewd about that is incredible. And then the last thing, i got to end where I began. Don't move. <laughs> Don't move. Many of you have been trained by God to be expert missionaries at your neighbors in Orange County, and you want to leave. You are the person who knows what your neighbor is feeling and dealing with and how difficult it is to live here, maybe month to month. That's because you know what that is. You are the person who's tried five different things and they didn't quite, but the guy, you're, you know, your best friend from school, his, yeah, and then you're just, <laughs> yeah. I'll just be a Christian. I can't handle that pressure, you know, like, <laughs> like, you know, you are expertly trained by the Lord for this mission field. It would be so wild if you went to ministry training school and they trained you for the mission field and they said, we're going to send you some random other place you've never heard of. You'd be like, I just learned the language. You know it because you faced it. You've had to resist the devil in those places. There is no one better to bring Jesus to your coworkers than you, to your neighbors than you, to the extended family members you have trouble talking to about whatever, anything. You are the best person to bring the hope of the gospel to them. If only by starting a conversation that says, hey, I would like to repent of what I've been saying or how I've treated you or how I've thought about you and how we got in that weird online thing that was just so embarrassing. I'm just, that was on me, I'm sorry. I don't care about that. I care about you as a person. Eye to eye, take a knee. Pray for these people. These are your people, that's your house. Don't move it unless you are positive the master has called you to another house. That can happen, but not nearly as often as I want it to happen in my heart. My friends, you have been given incredible gifts at this church. I pray for you to become shrewd disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, your kindness and the responsibilities you've given to us are immense. But it's all yours. The strength, the wisdom, the resources, they're not ours. It's not our house. It's not our money. It's not our job. It's yours. Lord, I pray that we would awake that we would be present and focused and attentive and excited to love this community for the sake of the kingdom of God so that our lives here would fling many doors, maybe our neighbor's door, maybe our uncle or our nephew, maybe their doors would be flung open wide to an eternal home because we were shrewd because we managed well in the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.